Hey, welcome everyone to Today in the Scene by Indie Arcade Wave. I'm Joe, your host, and here on In the Scene, we dive into what's happening in the arcade space. The indie developers, arcade owners and operators, and just news in the arcade space in general. So a few things before we dive in, just want to shout out the Galactic Battleground and Indie Arcade Wave shirts. I'll throw them up on the screen, as well as the new four-player tabletop and Konami version of Galactic Battleground. Those are up too. Uh, we've got those available for purchase on the Galactic Battleground website. The link is in the description. Now, I want to do something a little different this week. We've talked to lots of arcade owners, lots of developers, game developers, uh, music artists, things like that. But I've been watching a lot of arcade documentaries lately. And I really want to talk to Bob Rose, who is the director of Token Taverns. It's a, a movie all about arcades. A lot of them down in Florida, around the Tampa area. Uh, Glitch Bar, which we've had a bunch of people from Glitch Bar on to talk about the arcade. And I want to hear what the process was like of making this movie and what Bob learned along the way. So let's bring in Bob to talk about it. How you doing, Bob? Hey, how's it going? It's good to it's be here. Going. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're on here. I'm happy to talk to you. I've been following the movie for, oh God, it feels like over a year for sure. And then you, your social started going and I was like, I need to see this. And then you've, you've got it out now. So people can check out the movie um on vimeo and amazon and i'm sure there's gonna be more places in the near future so let's just jump right into you bob just tell us about yourself like who are you and when did you play your first arcade game sure um my name is bob rose obviously i'm the director of token taverns arcade bar documentary and uh gosh i'm i've been a filmmaker and and working in television and the documentary world uh, for quite some time. I mean, decades at this point. Um, but gosh, my first arcade memory or the first games I remember, I mean, I definitely fall into the demographic of, I was in those early eighties arcades. And so gosh, the ones that stand out my first, I remember I played and, and, you know, I don't see this one a lot and I don't know if this is my favorite, but I just remember playing it at, at a roller skating ring they would have these mini arcades is the, is the game kangaroo. And you know, what's funny is it, it had these like really fond memories for me when, when I, and then when I played it, let's say like on my multicade did not at all stand up to the vision in my head, but yeah, I spent a lot of time playing that one. And just at that time, I remember how there would be excitement in the arcade Every every week there would be like a new machine and they would have the new spot for the new machine. And just that whole experience it, at, at the mall, you know, my dad would come and play with us. Where they were smoking cigarettes in there and uh, and and the roller skating ring. And I probably roller skated about 25 percent of the time and I play games about 75 percent. So I have many, many great arcade memories. Yeah, I've I've played Kangaroo, I believe, like once or twice. I, I came across it at an, an arcade here just north of the cities in, in Minneapolis. I thought it was fun, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I expected a little more. And I'm sure we all have, you know, rose colored glasses to to show us what we're expecting from the past. But things change and we try again. So I'm curious about the movie like Token Taverns. You you spend a lot of time going from these different arcades to kind of document their story. And I think it's a perfect way to explain what an arcade bar is in a different term with the token taverns. So let's hear why you wanted to make this movie. What was the main draw for you to want to make this documentary? Sure. Okay. So this is my third film, but this is the third film that I've done. And I make these with my wife. We're kind of a filmmaking team. And, but this was the first film. My last film was about the music industry. This was the first film that this was uh, something that we were into. 
So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a gamer my whole life and I've really had started going to a lot of these arcade bars. I'm also a big craft beer lover. Um, I've been drinking craft beer for decades. And so I would go to all these craft beer bars. And as soon as the arcade bars kind of came into play and they also had craft beer, well, then it was just a no brainer. I can go to one place. I can drink local craft beer from multiple different breweries, not just one, and play these awesome games. And so I fell into that and, and, and really started enjoying it. And then I just noticed that there hadn't really been anything about it. And that's something I really like. Like I made the second CrossFit documentary that's ever been made, and there's tons of them now. I like being one of the first. But, you know, if I'm going to spend a couple of years, which is what I do on these documentaries, I want it to be something I'm really into. Like, this is my office. You see, there's Avengers. There's Ms. Pac-Man. I'm, this is where I'm editing. This is my world. Um, so why not make a movie in that world? You know, so that was really kind of the catalyst for, for deciding that we need to put a spotlight on this. The world needs to see, because I don't think everybody knows how big these arcade bars are becoming. I think everybody understands that retro is in, um, but I don't think they, they, they know. I mean, a lot of times these places are like tucked away in strip malls or just here or there. And if you don't know, you don't know. So I, I thought it was time for the world to know that arcades are back and arcade bars are a real big reason why uh, this demand for ar arcade machines and pinball is, is blown up right now is, is majorly because of arcade bars and as well as, um, you know, home gaming and, and home collecting as well. Yeah. I think you, you hit it at like the perfect time. Cause, um, obviously we've got, you know, stuff like barcade that were open that opened years ago, like, uh, like 2010, I want to say 2009, something like that they opened. And now you're seeing arcade bars open up in every state a couple of year. It's becoming a pretty common thing and collecting these games is getting crazy. I mean, I've, I, I like collecting like retro video games and I'm really focused on the GameCube right now and I can't find GameCube games anywhere and what I can find they're crazy. So these these cabinets have have blown up in price and and you're right they're they're very very common now arcade bars. Let's talk about the filming process cuz obviously this is a big endeavor to take on. You showcased something like four or five arcades. I know you like briefly talked to Doc for a little bit. What was the filming process like like traveling and setting up all these interviews? What was that like for you? Sure. Okay. So we started um, early, early, well, late 2019, early 2020. And when you start doing a documentary like this, you usually do start with some people who can I interview. And so I had started the interview process. I started filming around the country a little bit. I did uh, catch up with Dot Mac at um, Galloping Ghost, and we were at the Pinball um, Expo. Uh, where we were, that's where we got a lot of our kind of interviews with like Walter Day and Tim Kidsrow. And, and then we went to Galloping Ghosts and, and interviewed Doc as well. Um, but then when we started filming here, you know, we have three major ones here in Tampa, Tampa Bay. And I started filming there because obviously I live here. Uh, and then COVID happened. So once that happened, uh, there was just a massive pivot at that point about, first off, uh, can I still do this documentary? And if so, how am I going to do that? And so at that point, I made the decision that this was going to be a Tampa Bay-based film 
we're going to really focus and double down on these three major ones we have here in Tampa. And we're going to follow them throughout this whole process. And, and that's what I did. I started filming before COVID. We get to know the place. We get to know the people. This is very much a story-based documentary. You follow through them through the whole COVID process and then out the other side and see how they deal with it and, and the trials and tribulations they have through their eyes. This movie is very much told through an arcade bar owner's eyes. But when I started out, that strategy wasn't clear. You know, I'm a firm believer of, okay, we're going to do this documentary. Let's start to film and then let's figure things out along the way. And then the story will present itself and the truth will be in that. And that's kind of what we did. And I'm, I'm super pleased uh, at the outcome because you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, I just knew that I did not want this to be a movie where everybody was ending the movie, sitting in masks and, and just really down. So I, I had the patience to wait it out. And that's why part of the reasons why we filmed over the course of two years. Yeah, when I started watching the movie, I knew how it ended for Glitch because uh, I've, I've been to Glitch. I love Glitch. So I knew how the story unfolded for them. But it was really fun following the other the other three arcades, arcades that I had, I think, found on social media, but I didn't really know anything about. So it was cool to to see it from the owner's eyes the whole way through. Um, and I think that was an excellent way of you running the story of the of the documentary of like seeing how it unfolds and really hearing through every single step, how the owner is doing, how they're feeling and what's going on. Now, you spent a good chunk of time with these people. Obviously, you were at these arcades for a while. In your eyes, what makes each arcade that you showcase stand out from each other? Like, obviously, they have they have drinks and they have games, but there's a lot that's unique about each individual location. So what did you see that really made each one of them stand out on their own? Okay, so, well, first off, I'll say I've been to a ton of arcade bars at this point. Um, obviously we filmed uh, the three here in Tampa Bay and then glitch. And I know those extremely well, as well as I'm good friends with all the owners. But I also did, especially as we came through a COVID through my travels, I filmed a lot at other places like electric bat arcade, um, a beer cade in, in, in Nashville and Chicago uh, and a bunch more. Anytime I stepped into somewhere, I filmed a little bit. So player one in Orlando. So I, I, I've got a good verse at, at some of the differences. And, and one thing I'll say is what I say about the three in Tampa Bay, the main kind of characters of the documentary. I feel that these stories and these things that you see in these are represented in, in many other arcade bars around the country. It's almost like these stories and these things I've seen are almost mimicked in every place. So everybody kind of can relate if they have any experience with arcade bar and any arcade bar owner. Oh my gosh, they relate. So, but let me just talk about the, the three, the three main ones and, and glitch as well. We have like vector, for instance, um, Vector and Clearwater, they pretty much are super dive bar, no aesthetic on the wall. It's all about the games. It's all about the community, really. And that's what's cool is, is he shows there that you don't have to have all of this stuff and all these crazy lights and Mario all over the wall and all this stuff to like have the really cool arcade bar. No, you can just have some super cool with some rare games and the pinball and the beer and provide an atmosphere where the people will come to you and the people and the games are the aesthetic. Okay. So that's, that's vector. Parkade is similar in that it feels divey, but it is the most hardcore straight up arcade of the three, meaning like a lot of machines in there for the size of the space, 
really packed in machines. Um, it's all the standard stuff you would expect uh, along with some really cool rare stuff and ice cold beer and some stuff you just don't always see it all the time. Tapper cocktail table, which is, is an arcade beer like documentary. <laughs> I'm very partial to Tapper. And, and but they're all about they have super art all like murals all over the wall and um, they're very big into live music and it's got more of a hip hop like Tribe Called Quest feel I feel um, so that's that and then you have like Reboot which is totally different and it's more like Tron meets Blade Runner and if you are they're open till three o'clock every every night and if you're there like after ten or eleven on the weekends I mean it's just a straight up party. If I'm there past 10, 30, 11 on the weekend, I'm I'm too old to be there, I feel. <laughs> no, but no, it's not like that. It really isn't. There's definitely a younger crowd, and there's people there that you like know that like they are not going to be playing any games. They're just hanging out. And I think that's what's cool about these places is it is bringing in this crowd of people that it's just a, a great vibe whether you're playing games or not. But around them, around the bar, there's people playing console games, and there's people playing pinball that are totally not in that same scene at all. And they're all existing in the same spot. And I think that's something super unique about arcade bars is that you can be uh, on the on the bad side of 40 and in one of these places at 2 o'clock and you don't feel too old to be there. Um, and you can't do that at a lot of places. Um, so, yeah, they're all different in their own way. And I think that's what's cool is you'll always find something – to connect you to that place and there's also always something that's kind of unique to that um especially in in kind of like the what i call the mom and pop arcade bars the owners are there they're working they they fix the machines um they don't you know the machines work <laughs> you know all that good stuff so yeah man they're all different and awesome in like their own way the way you were describing them was exactly how I thought of them at like after watching the documentary like Parkade, totally like 90s hip hop, like all about it. I, I thought that was so cool that they had DJs in there all the time, like playing that 90s hip hop energy to like fit with the arcade. And Glitch Bar is one that you mentioned. And I've spent a lot of time at Glitch Bar. I've been down there like three times now. I know Dwight and Chris pretty well. And they stand out with indie games. They, they've yes. got, I, I don't think they're missing one, honestly. Like they have almost every single indie game and they've got a couple that they have the only ones in the country right now. Um, like Highlight Heroes was basically came from Glitch Bar. That was that was a dream from people in Orlando that, that put it there first. So let's talk about the indie scene and what you think about the indie arcade games that are coming out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. And I, I, I'm going to be straight up. Like the indie game scene, it really cemented um, Glitch into the documentary. Like I, you'll see if you watch the movie, they're, they're, I'm not able to feature them quite as much because of COVID and because I wasn't there a lot. But when I was there, the, the indie games that they had uh, it was really the big standout. And, and they're always getting more, which is crazy. I don't think a lot of people realize or even know that that so many full size made for arcade machines are are coming out, and and it's such an easy thing to do um, because you these games are kind of retro in look, and honestly, they're very much kind of like the indie Xbox games or or even like some of the indie phone games in, in a form factor that's that's an arcade or unique controls that you could only do 
on a, on an arcade machine, which I think is super cool. I, I think it's amazing. I think also, you know, we, we definitely feature uh, a nice little section about um, Killer Queen. And I think what Bumble Bear has done with that, with that game, a game that has requires 10 people to play at the same time on one machine or two machines put together. And, and it's created such a craze and people are just, it's, it's a subculture. It's a subculture within the arcade scene of people who are just playing killer queen. There's like massive national contests. I know they have some at, at glitch as well. Um, I think that just in itself really says monumental amounts about how big the indie game scene is. Now that being said, I, I do feel that some of the other arcade bar owners should take a look at that and, and start to try to implement some of that as well, because, you know, I, and we have this in the movie, but the, uh, the excitement that happens in an arcade bar or an arcade of any sort, when a new pinball machine is being delivered in the box and they unbox it and everybody that are the pinball players that are crowding around and watching. Well, I feel like the same thing could be the case with, uh, with indie arcade games. Uh, and I will say this, um, I've only seen, I've been to a lot and I've only seen the indie games like in one other place besides glitch and nowhere like what they have. And they also, but they also have all the, all the, the great old school classics that you would expect um, along with the great console games. This is a great mix there, but I notice that it seems to be that those um, indie games uh, especially at that place, are getting played more than some of the others, which I think says a lot about where the indie games are going. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, just I'm not going to like give out the numbers right now on, on, on everything, but that for Galactic Battleground, that is our number one location for plays is Glitch Bar. There's, I mean, it gets played a ton there. So if you have a, a platform where it's like you pay to get in and then the games are on free play, it really pulls that barrier of entry into indie games of like, well, I'm going to put money in this and see if I like it. People can try it three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times and and realize that they do like it. And then it starts to bring in friends and you've got a whole new crowd of people and like they just they have it set up. I mean, like you're talking about unique controls like Black Emperor with that longboard wheel. Like that's so cool. That, that's such a unique thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about was the Black Emperor. And, and you know, you, what you said about the free play Black Emperor is a great example of that. Like you are going to crash and burn really fast. Yep quite a few times in the beginning. So, but once you get a little bit, you're like, I want more, I want more. And I don't think that probably would, would be the same if you lost your quarter in uh, 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely not a deterrent if you got to try a second time, but it, it does work really well in those like pay to get in kind of models. I, I just like, there's so many arcades in Florida. It's crazy to me. Like I have a spreadsheet of the whole country showing like what kind of, what places have arcade bars and Florida has a lot. So, what do you think it is about Florida that makes it such a great place for arcades? Well, I mean, obviously Florida is a, a vacation destination. You know, uh, we've, we've all often been called the, the foothill of, of the United States, but you know, um, it's, it's, it's sunny here most of the time. Uh, it's freaking hot most of the time. But, um, you know, this is where people go to get away and we have the coast on both sides and um, there's just already a good tourist kind of thing happening. So, like, if you look at Orlando, I mean, the amount of arcade bars in that just 
super area is is a great example of that because of Orlando has so much has so much tourists coming in. However, each one of these places is getting a good portion, if not most, of their revenue not from tourists, but from the regulars who go in on a regular basis. Um, they are everywhere. And, and, and it's like literally, okay, so we, we have a few here. There's another one that's open in here in a couple of weeks, just like maybe 20, 30 minutes from my house. I'm not sure, man. I mean, I know that there's also some great distributors down here, like the one we featured in the, in the movie, um, Little Shop of Games. He does pinball distributor. There's a lot of people here that work on it, like Neil Hernandez. And, and there's just a, like I, what I've noticed from, aside from Chicago, we've got it really mapped out with a great like track of people who are selling games, fixing games. And, and I think that coming out of post-COVID, people are seeing that people want to go out and play games and people are now kind of getting on to it to say like, okay, this could make some money. Now that, that can be scary sometimes because, you know, to me, these things, the success of these uh, is really kind of wrapped around the owner and how passionate they are about the hobby because it is a hit or miss and it's a hospitality business. I mean, and I'll say this too, as far as arcade bar versus arcade, because people who don't drink beer or don't drink at all, they, they, they might not see that difference, but I'll tell you as a, as a business owner, you almost kind of have to have an arcade bar now. Like it is super difficult to maintain a, a, a pay to play or a quarter and, and pay the bills with that. You really need that food item. You need that drink to make it happen. And I do think that speaks to a lot of why arcade bars are able to stay open more so than maybe uh, just a, what you would call a typical arcade. Uh, aside from somebody like Doc Mack, who has like the Disney world of arcades, right? But yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I love Florida. It, it's definitely super hot here a lot of times. It, they are there. I don't know, man. I mean, I know that when I drive just up to Georgia, uh, which it takes me maybe three hours, four hours to get out of the state because we're kind of in the mid part. I pass. Uh, there's a few arcade bars that I I'll, usually will stop on the way um, just because it's I call it convenience stop, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, man, Florida, uh, it's, it's great for arcades. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're definitely right about that. It being warm there all the time. I, I'm in Minnesota, so going down to Glitch in, in February, March is like prime time. And that's when they hold their Killer Queen tournament. I, I love going down there for that. Um, shout out Neil Hernandez, the guy. Um, he took me all around Miami the last time I was down there. So that was that was awesome. And yeah, I mean, it's just I think you hit the nail on the head with the arcade bar side of it, like having the food, having the drinks like really, really helps you sustain. And I know that gave Dwight and Chris a ton of freedom to buy these indie games because the bar was making so much money that they could take the risk on the game. And it, it I think it paid off for them in the end because, you know, they're they're the location in the U.S. I can only think of two other arcades in the entire U.S. that have as many indie games as he does. Right. Um, and I've had both of them on the show. But I, I'm really curious about this whole journey for you. Like you got to film, you got to meet all these people. And like you said, you got to dive into your passion of the arcade space. So what did you learn? while filming this documentary like what is a big takeaway that like kind of surprised you in the end but you just feel like 
this was like the main lesson I learned through this documentary. Gosh, I mean, are we talking as a filmmaker? I would say um, I learned patience. So, um, you know, not knowing what was going to happen with this, you know, when you make these movies, uh, when you're a documentary filmmaker, you don't know the end. You have an idea or you kind of think what you might want to happen or what you think could happen, but you don't know. Um, And so especially with the uncertainty of COVID, you know, I just kind of kept pushing forward and pushing forward until it was like, okay, I can't tell this COVID part anymore. I need to get out of this. So I completely stopped filming anything for almost a year, six to eight months at least, uh, where we didn't film at all. And you'll see there's a time jump in the movie, and that's why um, for there for things to kind of get a little bit more normal. And I didn't know if that was even going to happen. We didn't know. And so the patience of that and the patience even past that to see that there were some endings that I thought were going to be great endings for, for like, say like Parkade and for, um, for reboot their final scenes of the movie. I wanted to wait for that. And, and so I did. And, and through that, even through post waiting for that, because I waited for that, then I, I met up with people, all these synthwave artists at Neon Retrofest here in Tampa. And even after I had it a, an edited cut of the film, I told called my distributor and I said, uh, I want to push off on delivering to you and give me a month to put in more music. And I got 12 different artists, over 20 tracks of new music. It basically has a, a synthwave soundtrack with established artists that did not exist in my first screenings even. It, in my first screening, when I first showed the movie and, and at a film festival in April, did not have this. So patience was the big thing I think I learned and, and letting to step back, step back and let the story unfold in front of you. And, you know, I could have rushed this movie out and I think it would have hurt the film tremendously and we would have lost a lot of heart. We would have lost a lot of an emotion from the story and it just wouldn't be the same movie. So, yeah, I'd say patience, man, because, you know, a lot of people would say, like, why do you film for two years? Why did you film in 2020 and it's coming out in 2023? And it's all been a great that that's the way it happened. And it also was weird because the second it really starts to come out is like where I feel like we're kind of peaking on on the retro scene and 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 this hobby of ours clearly patience like that's that's a long time to film that's a long time to be working on a project and be like i want to get this out but it's just it's not there yet like i'm waiting for one more thing and i love bringing the synthwave artist in there like uh i've become good friends with street cleaner since i started this and he's made a couple games he's a synthwave artist in in california and like these guys are cool they they love video games too and their music their music is so iconic to the games, like all the old games. You hear Synthwave, you know, like it, it's really iconic to a lot of these. Let's wrap everything up. That's that's really what I had for questions for you. I want you to shout out social medias. Where can people watch the film? Things like that. Sure. Okay. We are kind of, well, we're out on Amazon. That's big right now. So just, uh, he'll have the link in the description or you just go, go on Amazon, type in Token Taverns. Um, we also have a link on um, a, a private, like a video Vimeo on demand. We should be on Google play for not. We're going to be out very soon. Those are your main, main avenues, um, especially between Google play and Amazon. And it's for rental and purchase digitally. Uh, and so that's our first window. Our second window, which I am actually working on right now as we speak is the Blu-ray. 
So we will have a Blu-ray coming out as well as a DVD. DVD will be pretty basic, but the Blu-ray will have some special features. I'm doing a whole edit about the, the road show that we did this summer where we screened at like five different places as well as a kind of a gag reel in there. And also I did director's commentary with Retro Ralph, who's in the film. So I, we're really excited about that. Everybody's been asking about physical media. That's what, that's going to be the big one. And then I'm also, and this is kind of a little, little, uh, some little tip or a little whatever, is uh, we're working on some special edition VHSs. Uh, where we're actually going to put the film on VHS in a special edition like clamshell case, kind of like your Disney or your horror movies from the 80s with a special kind of pulpy 80s looking, um, maybe horror movie inspired uh, cover. Um, so we're going to have those as well, probably for purchase on our website, which is going to come out soon as well. It's not out yet, but on our website and then also at con. So that's really the main stuff we have in the works and, and we're working on, you know, with the website, we're going to have a lot of crazy merch. I have a special edition, uh, a Super Mario Bros. Uh, Nintendo um, kind of uh, looks just like the cartridge, but it's Token Tavern shirt that we're about to release as well. So, yeah, that's that's it, man. The main thing is, is watch the movie. I mean, this movie is for the community and we want you to watch it and we want to know what you think of it. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to throw all those links down below. The documentary is awesome. If you haven't seen it, you need to like this isn't me suggesting it like you need to go watch it. I really enjoyed it. I've been bugging Bob for a long time. Like since I first saw stuff, I was like, when is it coming out? I saw him showcase it at a convention. I was like, why can't I see it? Um, and I was not disappointed. I was I was very happy with the film. It was a, a great coverage of the space and letting people know about it. I was very happy Galactic Battleground made the cut for a little bit there. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thank you, Bob, for coming on here. You guys need to check this stuff out. The collector stuff is really cool. So grab that, too. Thanks for making this movie. Like, as, as a member of the community, I appreciate it. I love to see the stories and hear from arcade owners. That's why I do these interviews. And if you guys are still watching, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It helps us a ton. The way will continue to grow, and we can all ride it together. We've got the t-shirts and the cabinets. Don't forget to check those out and buy some at CollectorBattleground.com. But until next time, peace. Peace.